out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the drummer. It is the one and only Ian White, member of Gallon Drunk, Drunk, and also has played and still does play with Lydia Lunch, but more excitingly, has got a new solo album that has just come out, titled Confessions of a Justified Sinner. This is um, goes as the name of Blythe, and uh, if you want to know any more information about it, the album... Um, it is available on Bandcamp if you go to Blythe Sound, B L Y T H Sound dot um, Bandcamp dot com. And there you go, you can get the album. It's available as a digital album and also, I do believe, um, vinyl. But uh, don't quote me on that. It's a murky world, I get often lost in there. But anyway, look. You get the gist. Um, it is Ian White, now known as Blythe, as well as Gallon Drunk and also Lydia Lunch. So this is the interview. I know, what a build-up. Um, so after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was, um, well, we were talking about Cozy Pal, or so I was, and um, the new album. And this was Ian's response. Ian, take it away. I suppose I started, you know, I was, you know, when I was obviously playing in bands a lot, and um, I suppose when I there was a there was a, a time when I wasn't doing so much touring, and I was getting a bit um, I was just a bit sad about not playing live so much. And I thought, well, I need to do something. And I really and then I just thought, can I actually make some music on my own? And I thought well, this is probably a fantasy because um, I'd never really done that before. So. So I just sort of sitting down in, in sort of spare time and 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 wondering if I could do it and and it, it was just a gradual uh, gradual process of just you know being really excited about it actually okay I'm just going to start doing doing a bit of drums and then but then I never thought I could do sort of sort of music stuff around it so so it all just sort of evolved very gradually but through the sort of the you know, the need to play and the need to do something because I'd been touring a lot and then then a lot of things came to a halt. Um, <laughs> so that, that was really what, where it started, but I never thought, you know, and then when I actually got to the point of actually releasing a record, it was, it was almost one of my biggest ambitions to actually, um, you know, it seemed, it seemed impossible for me to actually create something that was not just, not just rhythms, but it was also... It has some music in it, you know. Yes. Um, that was that was that was a, that was my sort of impetus to to try and do this thing. So, so this is a, this is a project that didn't just happen in lockdown twenty twenty. This happened. This oh was no kind of, no. This yeah. was happening in twenty twenty seventeen that you were starting to feel. I think to, yeah, I was starting to just mess around with stuff, and then you know, and and it was a bit of a surprise to me that I thought for myself at least, whether anybody likes it or not is another thing, but it was more of a, a surprise to me that actually I can get from a point of just messing around with some rhythms and the bits of samples um, to, to actually, you know, to actually produce something that I was happy with. And, you know, I'm incredibly self-critical. So I, I all along the way, I always thought, 
uh, I'm not sure I can do this, you know. But I kept going, and and then at the end, actually, of course, it's not perfect. Um, but it gave me the impetus to actually think, okay, as as a, you know, doing something on my own, I, it is possible. So, yes. and that was that was really exciting. So. And did it feel after all the years and decades of being in bands, did this feel like the most challenging experience that you? you've kind of had to sort of be, you know, because you had the baton in your hand, the metaphorical baton, and had to yeah. sort of think, right, what's this yeah. kind of song going to be like? And what's the mood? It was, it was, honestly, David, it was incredibly, you know, I felt, I just thought I, I'm not worthy of this, you know, but because I just thought I've got nobody else to, to sort of, um, you know, to go with or people who were doing, you know, I'm not, you know, I can play the drums, right, but, um, and I've got musical sense, but I'm not, you know, I can't, if somebody gives me a guitar, I won't know what to do with it. You know, I'll probably chop it up into firewood. Yes. <laughs> but I can't, I don't know what to do with it, you know. So, um, so, you know, I, I, I started just breaking up tiny bits of things that I listened to, some samples. Some of it I used, some of it I didn't. And then I even, you know, I did actually manage to play a bit of piano when, you know, I'm a terrible, terrible piano player I can't I mean I can hardly but I after after sort of days and days of just you know I, I can do some notes I can do some chords so I can sort of fathom out things a little bit but yeah it was a huge challenge in answer yes. to your question I mean, and, and sort of I remember in the 90s I was in a bit of a new agey world at, t- at times and the drum was kind <laughs> of it had become such a thing everyone was you know, all these hippies new age people were buying jimmy drums yeah. and they were learning to play the baran or boran as they would say when they came back from Ireland they were getting a bit pretentious by then and then people were yeah. started getting into sort of was it Mickey Hart and the, and the spirit of the drum and the and this yeah. whole thing about the beat you know the rhythm you know and then sort of doing all this express expressive dance free dance everyone loved free dance in the 90s didn't they throwing their clothes yeah. off rolling around did you did any of that did any of that or all of it did that enter any of your dna or consciousness i just wondered if you no, know i mean not really at all actually i mean i wasn't i wasn't very con- i mean i'm so so sort of i suppose i'm so old-fashioned in a lot of ways you know all of my influences are very jazz based so you know, even though I went to clubs and I, you know, and I listened to stuff, but it never really touched me all of that stuff, actually, to be honest. And um, so, yeah, not, not, not really. I was, I was much more, when I started to actually try to do stuff on my own, you know, it was all based on my, I said, you know, even it's, of course, it's not a jazz record, but by any means, you know, I wish it, I wish it had been more jazz in a way or more full on jazz. Um, but I'm not, you know, I wasn't able. Uh, maybe next time. But, um, but I was much more influenced by the stuff I um, I sort of really loved, you know, like people like Mingus, people like um, Coltrane. That was much more important to me than... I, I sort of missed the... Even though I was of the age of, like, the Happy Mondays and all that sort of stuff, and I did go to clubs and, you know... And, and do that sort of stuff. But it never, that sort of stuff never really influenced me. I was much more influenced by jazz and then also by people like Funkadelic and, you know, Betty Davis, people like that. So, and even Annette Peacock, I mean, you probably know her. I mean, yes. Um, 
there's a sort of you know, that, Bowie connection in in that peak. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, used, uh, was it got Mike Mike Garson to David Bowie or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, sort of you know, that I'm that. the one record, you know, that Annette Pico record. It's just, oh. Are you still there? I am still Hang there. On. Yeah. I'm just going to plug a... this in because I think I'm running out of excitement. Okay. Yes. The juice. So, yeah, but that that record, I'm the one, is like, you know, it's, I mean, it's such an incredible record way before its time. And of course, Bowie, I think, ripped it off a lot but why not you know yes and i think i, I mean, was much more influenced by that than and i know when bowie had sort of started shifting bands he got in during the low period he was it dennis denny dennis um the drummer that he got into to sort of play on low was a particularly drum a fantastic drummer um, that yeah for Oh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. There, there was kind of one of those kind of characters who just added such such a lot. But did you were was it people more like Buddy Rich or or sort of Art Blakey that you were particularly keen on at that I mean, sort of? Buddy Rich was my um, sort of hero actually. Buddy Rich and um, uh, what's the other guy called? I can't remember his name. The other fifties guy. No, well, Max Roach was brilliant. I went to see him actually. Um, the drum battle between Buddy Rich and um, sorry, can't remember his name, but I should um, another great fifties drummer. But Buddy Rich was a it was a huge hero of mine. I mean, pretty horrible man, I think, by all accounts. But I did have the chance to see him uh, where I grew up in Newcastle when I was mm-hmm. about fourteen, and I was I just remember being amazed by his by his playing actually, you know. Yes. So Max Roach was, was I saw him at the Royal Festival Hall and he was unbelievable, you know, just because he, he actually had to, I remember he had to be helped onto the, the drum stool and I just thought, oh, this doesn't look great. But then as soon as he kicked off, he was like, wow, he was fantastic, Max Roach, you know. Well, I remember, I, yes, it's interesting you mentioned that because I know that um, currently it's dear old... Um, Oh yeah, Phil Collins. I think he's been having to be sort of wheeled onto the stage. I don't think he can even. Play oh, is he? He's, he can't even play drums anymore. His son has to pick it up, and he just he can. Play, oh no, he, really? He can. He can you know, play. I mean, whatever said about Phil Collins. I mean, I've never liked his music at all. But he was a, he was a great drummer. Yes, you know, he, he could play. He could play some weird stuff because left-handed again. You know, left-handed drummers are they've got a they've got a weird approach to the drum kit. They do things almost back to front. Yeah, um, but he's he's actually he was a great great drummer actually. But it's yeah. a shame he he sort of focused on his solo career. But then you know that face value record. I don't know when you li- I haven't listened to it for years, but it's not as bad as I think people people think. I think it's quite a, it's quite an accomplished. It's jazz funk and it's it's but great drumming on it. So mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him down for that. <laughs> Not literally. Um, <laughs> no. Anyway, I mean, they're, they're, they're <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think the thing about, you know, I mean, this is a slightly different subject, but I think when I was 
younger in that 70s and 80s decades you know music was very tribal and you kind of you know went oh, I can't like that because they're part of that scene and then decades later you, sometimes I can listen to a record without all that package and think actually this <laughs> yeah. is quite good like you know Depeche Mode was a band that I dismissed quite br brazenly I was just like no they're new romantic I don't like them that's it and now yeah. I realize there's there's more to them than meets the eye so I think well that's quite but then, you know, it's easy when you're young and a bit of a twerp and a bit uptight, like one yeah. was in the 80s. But I think you know. Depeche Mode's a quite a good case in point. I mean, I I hated them when they... <laughs> yeah, let's just hate you them. Know, but now, I think, you know, what Dave Garn... I mean, I did a song with Dave Garn recently, a like a tribute song for Jeffrey Lee Pierce record. Um, and, you know, it, what, what, what he's doing now is... But I think is so much better than what the early Depeche was. I mean, I couldn't stand them, but apparently they're brilliant live now. And, you know, and also his stuff that he does is, you know, I think, I think after he recovered from being a heroin addict, he was, he was even better than ever actually. So he, he got through the hell and then he, then he, then he became really, really good, I think. So. Yes, I mean, I think that's a tricky one. Yeah, I know. Yes, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I sort of grew up, I was born in the early 60s, 64. So I was sort of mm, kind of late 50s now, though I'm in denial. By yeah. that. But, um, but my early musical world had been, you know, Sweet Slave, T-Rex, Gary Glitter, yeah, obviously. I mean, Gary Glitter's, <laughs> I mean, that drumming, you know, his band, I mean, the Glitter Band were just extraordinary, you know, I mean. They were brilliant. What yeah. not to like as a 10-year-old, I'm just lucky I never met him. And then, but luckily yeah, exactly. Bowie was my <laughs> my first single and first love. And, and he, you know, with Space Oddity and the B-side was Changes and Velvet Goldmine. And I thought, great, B-sides yeah. are great. And obviously I was disappointed ever since. But um, I mean, what was your kind of musical awakening at that, you know, formative period? Did I mean, I'm, I'm two years, two years younger than you. So I was born in 66. So um exactly like you i was into the sweet you know as a, as a kid t-rex on top of the pops gary glitter unfortunately jimmy savile unfortunately yeah. you know so you know i loved all those programs but then when i got a bit older i mean i i you know i was and sometimes i'm i feel slightly but i'm not ashamed about saying it but i was a huge fan a massive fan of acdc like the early the bon scott acdc that was my that was my band when I was fourteen. You know, I had all their records, all their weird French imported singles, everything. I just I thought they were just they were so rock and roll and so you know they were like the Stooges to me. I mean, I I I, I like the Stooges a little a couple of years after that, but ACDC to me. When you listen to the early records, you know, Dirty Deeds, High Voltage. They, I mean, they they the lyrics are hilarious. They're, and the the music is I don't know I just I it just hit a chord with me very simple actually because it's not a, it's not a, they're not drummers records at all you know but did it's you, did, you basic. Like, did you in that sort of same kind of breath or vibe did you also like the drumming on Deep Purple's kind of early kind of music because that was incredibly dynamic I remember there was one song called Fireball and and Burn and yeah the, I remember that I remember I remember they, having some Deep Purple stuff, and I like sort of Black Knight and stuff, but I didn't, the one thing I didn't like was sort of what I, which is what I thought about Deep Purple, possibly wrongly, was they were a bit too prog, they were a bit too clever for me. So when I learned the drums at the age of 13, 14, 
I like something, I like the simple stuff. So I think maybe that's why I got into ACDC as well. I love some some um, deep purple stuff, but I was never really, you know, it was also later that I even appreciated Led Zeppelin. And I don't even know how I feel about them now. Mm. Obviously, John Bonham is like, you know, possibly one of the best rock drummers ever, probably. But I don't, you know, I, I, the idea of Led Zeppelin is more, is is better than the actual, when I listen to it. I always think I love Led Zeppelin, but then I listen to it and I think, do I really like this? I'm not sure. It's a bit mm. too prog for me. So, well, I, I, have like, say, I have the same experience with um, Radiohead. I don't really get Radiohead on, on that level. I just don't no. understand. I'm not, suppo- I'm, not su- I'm not sure what you're supposed to do when you're listening to Radiohead, really. I don't. Um, I, I sort of lumped the two together, though I did get Led Zeppelin 4 when I was younger because I wanted to, I don't know, I was 16. It's a good record. It's a good I, record, that. But you know that's that's stairway to heaven, isn't it? Yeah, and then it's got those ones with Battle of Something and Sandy Denny's. On oh yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Funny. I mean, it was a kind of you know, it is it is kind of a funny folksy. It's very prog. I mean, but like when you talk about Radiohead, I mean, I think the first album they did, I don't know, they were the Benz. Was that the first proper album? Yeah, I remember. Maybe. I, or the first big album they did, it was like they were they were sort of, you know, they were sad rock songs, you know, like torch rock songs in a way. They were, I never got into them. Well, I um, didn't. I think in a way, the reason I probably couldn't buy into it was that most of the music I really loved, I loved lyrics, and when I was very young, I loved the Carpenters. I still think they're amazing lyrics. Oh, they're uh, absolutely fantastic. You know? But, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone, you know, those the sentiment that she sung. And I know they're not her lyrics, but, you know, they really captured it. And I could see why I got into bands like Joy Division or The Smiths later or yeah. even sort of moments of The Swans. The thing about Radiohead, without going on about them too much, is that I couldn't believe the lyrics that he was singing. I thought, well, actually, if you moved in next door to us, I'd be quite happy. <laughs> I would even give you the keys to feed the cat. I don't think you are. <laughs> I don't think you are what you're singing. And I kind of couldn't yeah. get that. Whereas when Morrissey... I know Morris is a bit tricky now, but in the Smith stage, you know, I, I could get that he was genuinely singing from how he was feeling, like Karen Carpenter singing, you know, I say goodbye to yeah. love. No one seems to care if I should live or die. I mean, there is this kind of doomed quality about that. Whereas when I hear Radiohead just and the, the image and it's like, I don't, I just, I still wouldn't mind you being a neighbour. I'd still say, yeah. the gaps. you know, I don't think you would kick off, you know, it wouldn't be. No, I agree. I- yeah, I think you're dead right, David. I mean, I, I think it, it, there was something that didn't really like reach out to well to me or to you, obviously. You know, whereas you know, I never, I never really liked the Smiths musically, but I loved the lyrics. And it's unfortunate what's become of him, but you know, <laughs> there, there it, we have it. It, so, it adds an interesting complexity, doesn't it? It does. It's, it does which, kind of, which is kind of you know, I, I suppose you just have to sort of work it and realize it's <laughs> yeah. You know, just I suppose when something when something like that happens, I suppose I often think, well, I should just also look at my own way, you know, before I judge it. Perhaps, perhaps <laughs> yeah, secretively. Yeah. That's a good point, but There's but no, he did he did become a um a sort of very 
sort of right wing, didn't he? And oh, yeah, it's it's it is completely horrendous, actually. You know, I mean, but then when yeah. you know, someone kind of threw that around, saying we should ban every song by the Smiths or Morrissey, then I was thinking, well, look at all these other, you know, seventies, sixties, you know, people who were having lots of sex with underage girls, taking lots of drugs. Yeah beating people up. I mean, do we ban all popular music? You know, basically. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think you should ban the Smiths. Absolutely not. I just think, well, you know, they, they, you know, Morrissey wrote some brilliant songs and just that, you just think, well, it's just a bit sad, you know, leave it at that. Yeah. I, I, I think, think I mean, I don't, I don't think you ban the music. Why would you, you know, I'd, I'd still listen to Gary Glitter. Yeah, we know, all do. But I, all I don't do. want to, you know, which is maybe, maybe it's wrong, you know. Would I still watch um, Jim will fix it? Probably not. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't think that would be kind of you know. Even though did he? I did, did write to him. Did you? I did write. I, I didn't. I, didn't yeah. I can't remember what I asked him to fix, but thank God he didn't reply. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. He I mean, it's terrible. I know. But you remember I, growing up with characters like that, you know? Yeah, you but just, they were. I remember. It was ridiculous. You know, you got the black and white minstrel show. You've got you've got people like him. You've got. Um, you know, you've got Larry Grayson, you've got the other guy, you know, everybody dressing up as women and very peculiar. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was some weird sort of British. But then it, then there was obviously a dark side underneath all of this, you know, not, not with everybody, obviously, but. But you most know, certainly them, would, I mean, would, most of them would all end up in, you know, would have ended all up in prison. I mean, the prisons would have had the most yeah. light TV. It was interesting you mentioned the Black and White Minstrel Show because recently I loved the little Desert Island discs from the you know, 50s and 60s and they've got only clips of them. They don't always have all the shows because I suppose they didn't. They were wiping over the tapes, weren't they, at that time? But yeah. they've kept yeah. a few. And, the, and recently I was listening to one and they, obviously the guy's job was like, the black and white minstrel show and it was like yeah it's going really well i'm doing good i think it oh and i i love googling you know it was one of my exciting and sad pastimes you know you said and what happened to that person and it's like yes the show quickly got pulled didn't it you know he's like his career well, was yeah. looking so good it's like yeah i've got this great show it's really popular yeah of course i mean <laughs> wow i mean then it ain't, it ain't our hoffman the hot one you know when God, that was another thing. I can't believe that. You know, we'd sit down in front of it and think it was funny, you know, but, you know, somebody blacked up as an Indian with an Indian voice. It's just, it's just it seems so far away. Thank God, well, you know. Have you, have you seen the Alf, is it Alf Garnet and um, it, oh, the other one, um, <laughs> the one he gave you silly moo, um, Alf Garnet in that, um, some, oh, I don't know, some, no, that's some, that's uh, Mike Crawford. This well, is the... Um, yeah, the, the 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 series that they did. Yeah, he's a West Ham supporter. And he just yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, of course, he's, I used to watch that. Yeah, yeah it was, but it's it, incredible that the racism in that—it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah but that was funny. You know, everybody was laughing at that, and that was—I don't know. That's it, it, yeah. It's 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 quite amazing. It's not it's not that long ago that that no. that was the you know that was light entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was primetime TV. It was, you know, I remember watching this stuff on, you know, it wasn't like late night. It was, this this was on Saturday, 7, 8 o'clock in the evening when you were still up. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really, really poignant, really, and also really poisonous, actually, when you, with hindsight, when you think what you were watching. Yeah, and, of course, you know, I don't remember it touching me at all in 
in a matter of race. But then I suppose, you know, also for me, I mean, I don't know where you, if you grew up in the South, but I grew up in the North when, you know, in this, in the early seventies, you didn't, you didn't know, I didn't have black friends, you know, it was awful, but, I, but this is only with hindsight. I, I suppose I had one or two black friends at school, but, you know, to think the idea of, of, of this sort of exclusivity was, you know, it's, 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 it's incredible. And then you, you've got these television programs, which are just, but you, and also even like Rising Damp, I don't know if you remember that. I mean, oh, that yes. was, that, that used to make me laugh so much. I love that. But you've got this black guy, this intellectual who's, you know, he's, 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 he's portrayed as a, as a, with a bone sort of smoking kind of like bones through his nose. I mean, it's shocking, really, when you look at it. I mean, it's still very funny. I, I saw an episode of it recently. Yes. And I just thought, actually, it's great. Leonard Oster is brilliant. But <clears throat> but the racism in it is, and the sexism. Yeah. You know, this, this is something that is, you know, I think that people maybe don't realise how 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 I, I I mean I don't know if I'm being overly positive, but I think things have changed so much. They're certainly not right, but considering what was happening when me and you were growing up, I mean you, you know there were it was it it was inherent racism, but nobody thought about it as as a as a problem. Um, until much later, you know, which is which is a great thing. I mean, that, and that, that obviously it hasn't it hasn't been solved by any means. But in in the last thirty years, things have changed actually a little bit. Um, so I mean, I just hope they'll they'll keep changing. But yeah, well, it was. I mean, just on that point, there was you know, like there was the football. You know, there was like the first black English player, and that yeah. was like such a big thing. Yeah. You know, we you know we could only have one because, frankly, that would just tip the balance. And you know, so there was that, such a conversation point. I think it was Viv Anderson, wasn't it? And also the other thing about yeah. light entertainment was Miss World, where you get these women walking out with just bikinis, oh. and they would just be talking about these measurements. And and asking them what they like to do, and it was just like now you look at it and you think, you know, it's like oh my god, that's so creepy. You know, you can see why. But it's you incredible, know. you know, when you look at it now. It wasn't that long ago no, when it, it stopped, and you know, you 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 look at it now through your eyes and you think, God, that I can't even believe that really happened actually, yeah. but it but it did, and. It, but so those they are the advances that have been made. I think, which is such a, it's such a great thing. I think. I think in, you know a lot of people are very pessimistic and 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 very down on the progress that's been made. But in my, I think in my lifetime, I, I feel like I feel a bit more optimistic about what's changed, and it's far from far from right, you know. But I mean, all the movements that have that have risen up and the and the you know, the attacks on women and the ideas that women are perfectly, you know, they should be viewed as completely equal. In my mind, they should be viewed as, as more than equal, but actually better, you know, if anything. If you if you want to have a reverse sexism, you should have that now. But, you know, but at least now things are actually starting to, you know, there are certain things you cannot do and you don't even want to do, you know. I think for, for your average person, you know, that there are lots of things now that won't be, it's not just something that they shouldn't do, but it's something that they won't think about doing. And that is a complete change. 
so that it, you know, it's it's still a long way off. But I think I think we're we're getting on the right road. Road, actually, I hope. Yes, I think we are. It's going to be. It's going to be. Um, well, hopefully, better. I don't know. It's so tricky, yes. isn't it? it is, yeah. You thought you thought one thing out, and then something else goes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so look, as, as we were trucking through the seventies, I mean, you, you know, I was too young for punk. You were probably a bit young for punk. And that's a sweeping statement. You might have said, "No, I was right there." But you were your family at all a musical family, or had any kind of, you know, brothers or sisters? No, not at all. I mean, you know, I found out much later on that my mum was a, you know, was a really good pianist, actually. But you know, my dad was a was a bricklayer down the mines, so you know he was a miner basically. My my mother worked in a as a receptionist, so we never had any we didn't have any books in the house. We never had any music in the house. Um, it was only years later that I discovered that my mum was a, was a very good dancer actually, and a very good swimmer, and a very good pianist. But she, you know. Uh, you know, as as the way she was, she was very. Um, I don't know. She didn't talk to you about achievements. The achievements were for other people, in a way. Right. There was so there was no music in our house. There was no appreciation of music. Um, we lived on a tiny housing estate in Northumberland, north like twenty miles north of Newcastle. That's where we grew up, and. You know, it was a very stable environment, but there was no there was no joy in the house. It was very, you know, it was very it was just a very daily kind of thing. So yeah, we didn't have any we didn't have any access to. I don't even know why I would you know was interested in why how I ended up listening to music, but. Yes, it's it's strange. I mean, there is. I mean, the only person I know from that area. Um, was Catherine Tickell from the Northumberland Pipes? You know this kind of oh, yeah. real, real folk tradition. But I guess yeah. if folk ever, if you're into jazz, you're not going to be into folk, are you? Really? Let's face it. No, I never, I never, I never heard folk. You know, I never before I heard jazz. I was just into, you know, I'd, I'd listen to rock music. You know, like terrible shit when I was young, like Triumph and terrible stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I hated stuff like Rush. I hated prog rock, but I liked I liked just basic, stupid, dumb rock. And then growing up, and then I remember I would think I was thirteen when I first heard Nevermind the um, the Bollocks. And we there was we there was like a group of about five or six, of us, so we bought the record together because with our pocket money, you know. And yes. we it was about two or three years after it, it had come out. But it was still, it was like a massive revelation to me. I just thought, bloody hell, this is, this is so, it's so fantastic. The songs are great. I love that record to this day, you know. Um, but I, you know, I came across that record maybe two, two or three years after it came out because I was a bit too young for when it, when it first came out in 77, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so I, I probably came across it in 1980 and I just thought, wow, this is, this is so mad. This is this is proper abandon and um, you know against the you know when we were you know we were searching for stuff in this little housing estate, searching for something to make sense. Obviously, like loads of people are all over the country, all over the world. You know when they they you know you feel marginalised. I was like a hippie, long haired sort of, and yeah, I got into the Sex Pistols. But did you get into? You know, Hawk, you, were, you, were you into Hawkwind at all? 
No, no, I hated them. I couldn't stand them. I still can't stand them, by the way. Apart from the, the only thing I love about Hawkman is it's Lemmy. Lemmy. That, yeah, that was the only thing I liked about Hawkman. Right. So I never your, liked the music. So with your, so in 82, you hit 16. When does, when does a drum kit appear in your life? When did you, when did you? Drum, drum kit appeared in, I suppose when I was 13, actually. Right. So, yeah, so I was, I was quite young and, um, 13, 14, so yeah, it's 70, what's that, 78, 79, something like that. Yes. And did you, I mean, I mean, it would be the instrument of hell for a family in a small house. I mean, how come how come you said, oh yes, that's a good idea, we'll give you a drum kit and not it was horrible for you know, because what I mean, just to just to keep it brief, what I was doing, I, my brother liked painting pictures. So I used to pick up his paintbrushes and just and play on a stool along to records. And then I asked my dad, I want a drum kit. And he said, we haven't got any money. And I said, but please. And he, the only, then he said to me, look, okay, the only way you're going to buy it is through higher purchase. He said, I'm not going to pay for any of it. I have to sign up for this. And he said, if you miss one payment, then it's going back. So I said, okay. So then I took on three paper rounds every week. So, it was, you know, it was like, then it was like 15 quid a month, which is probably quite a lot of money. That's but huge. I was over two years. And he just said to me, if you, like he said, I will sign this because you're 13, 14, whatever. I'll sign it. But if you miss a payment, I haven't got any money. So, and I was so determined and I loved it. And then I, I did all these paper rounds and I paid off the whole kit. So, and, and you know, I'm very... I hate the word proud, but I am pleased that I managed to do it. And I managed mm. to, to get through it without him having to, because he would have taken it off me because he couldn't afford it. He had no money at all. So so that was a, you know, for two years, I and I, and I knew it meant so much to me that I thought, well, but it, but it's fine. You know, to, this isn't doing paper rounds, three paper rounds a week. It's a pain in the ass after school. But, but then I've got a drum kit, which I mm. can mess around. So that that's what that's that's how it worked out. Right, you were thirteen. But I mean, do you get any tuition or help to sort of learn what you know how to manoeuvre the drum? No, team? not 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 at first, actually. For in fact, it's funny you asked me that because I was sort of, I was been playing and I've been playing in stupid you know pop bands and stuff. And then when I was about nineteen, I think when I was in London, I thought. Oh, maybe I should get some lessons. So I, I signed up. I, I knew this guy who ran a drum shop, and he was great. He was a much older guy, and he was very kind to me. And and he told me about this drum teacher. He said you should get lessons off this guy. He's the best in 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 Britain, if not in Europe. So I contacted him, and I had to wait two years to get a lesson from him. Um, so I, I used to go, I used to go to him after two years. I went for him for about three years, and. You know, um, it just changed my whole perception on he he actually played me jazz, he taught me how to play jazz. And um, I mean he was a he was a real shit actually. I mean, lovely guy, but really hard. You know, I'd go to to a lesson and if I hadn't practiced, he would just, you know, within two minutes he would say, Go home, I'm but you're going to pay me, but go home. I'm not interested in teaching. If you haven't be, if you can't be bothered to learn what I taught you last week, then this is pointless. So, so he's very harsh on me, and I was very, very lazy. 
And I think because of his harshness, it made me, um, it really made me actually just think, I was frightened of him, frankly. <laughs> and and I think great. it was a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you so, see there was a was, so the, was there a film called, I can't remember, was it called Whiplash? One of these films. Whiplash, yeah. yeah. Where... I've never seen it, but, but people have told me. But it, apparently people, have, when I've told them about this guy, they say you should see this because it's the same, and I know I know that it is the same kind of thing. You know this sort of this harsh sort. Of, but I think you you know sometimes you need that. I was so lazy. You know I wanted to play, but I couldn't be bothered to practice, and it was that sort of you know that combination of things which was, you know. And then he would say to me, "Well, you can't do what I you you haven't you haven't done what I was. So how can you expect to do anything?" And then, you know, he was dead right. And, and so I, I started to out of fear, just thinking, I'm not going to give up these lessons because I knew in my heart he was right. Mm. But out of, I would just think, well, I can't turn up when I can't do these paradiddles and triple paradiddles and flamicues and all this bullshit. <laughs> so I have to be able to do them. Otherwise, he's just going to send me home and it's going to cost me 30 quid. And this is in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, which is a lot of money, you know. Yes. I mean, how did you find yourself in London at this stage? Had you gone to college or university? Yeah, I came to, I came to London when I was 18. I went to, um, uh, I went to King's College in London um, to study classics and archaeology, would you believe? Um, but then I got, unfortunately, I got expelled after a year and a half, um, which I'd have never quite... They 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 declared that I was mentally unsuitable to be in a university situation, so I, I don't know quite why. Well. I was sent to psychiatrist, but um, so they were difficult years, put it that way. Um, well, yes, but, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> that's why I came to London <laughs> just to be just to be sort of thrown out of university and have a horrible drum teacher. The eighties was hard, yeah. wasn't it? That was it was hard because you know now if you had a problem. You know, there's no way they'd expel you. They would, they would, they would pull you in. They would want to know what's wrong. But in those days, you know, they just wanted rid of you. You were, you were just a weird. If you were a weird person in the wrong. On, I mean, I was. You know, I, mean, I just want to make clear that I was not troublesome. I was just peculiar and very. Um, I think troubled, very quiet, very insular, very isolated. Um, but you know they didn't want those sort of people there, and, and it, it, I just think it's really sad actually what what happened to people then. I, I'm not the only person that it happened to as well. You know, no, God, um, it's it's a, it's a really tragic and sad story because obviously, you know, some people don't recover from that at all. They just you know yeah. sort of leaves them even more sort of damaged and um, yeah, definitely. And that's awful. I mean, that was the time actually you'd also have been given a grant, which wouldn't you? You wouldn't have to. Sort yeah. Of... I mean, I had a I had a full grant, and that was that was the problem actually, because because my parents were we didn't have any money, so I got a full grant, and then um, when they expelled me, I'd actually been offered a place at University College London to do medieval archaeology for some reason, and I was very happy to go there, but then I was disqualified from my grant because. If I'd left after the first year, I would have been fine. But because I'd done a year and a, uh, and one term, then I was disqualified from another grant. So 
Um, so my parents couldn't afford to to pay the whole thing. So so then I dropped out of the uh, out of the system, which was such a shame because you know what my whole ambition was to be um, an archaeologist. Mm. Strange enough. I mean, that's why I went to study archaeology and classics. I, I was, you know, I was committed to do that as a career. That was, you know, I, was, I, I think I was one of the only people I knew at my age, like 17, 18, who had a fixed idea about what I wanted to do as a, as a job, you know. Mm. But then, of course, I wanted to be a rock star as well. <laughs> that, that, that helps. So when, when sort of as the eighties were trucking on, when did you just start playing in sort of you know relative, relatively sort of pubby pub bands, rock yeah. bands? Yeah, yeah. I played in I played like I played in jazz, but jazz bands to try and learn. You know, I was playing percussion. I was playing congas and some terrible jazz bands, like you know, almost wedding bands. Then I was playing in pub bands and I just needed to play, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of ended up playing, um, you know, quite, in, you know, all, all terrible shit, really. But it was, but, but it was, it was, a. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it. I just wanted to play the drums. And obviously some stuff I thought, oh, God, this isn't very good, but um, the but I, I think it's not with hindsight that I, that I thought at the time that even when I was playing with some jazz quartets in pubs, actually, you know, I was really struggling to play that kind of stuff because I wasn't good enough. And yes. so it did teach me. It did actually taught me a bit how to, you know, how to listen to other, other musicians like sax players, trombone players or whatever, you know, whoever you were playing with. So it did, did, I think it taught me a bit about listening and a bit about, um, you know, even when you can't, even when you can't quite play this stuff, you know, just you can listen, you can sit back, and you can you can play along, you can do something good. And you know, I learned a lot from from those experiences. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I started off like playing in dreadful bands. <laughs> so as, as the sort of eighties progressed, you know, the the Smiths broke up eighty seven. There was a sort of that period of, of the 80s which was quite I would refer to as that sort of indie pop world of you know people like the Triffids and the Go-Betweens and um yeah you yeah, know the Wolfhands were you kind of aware of that kind of kind of independent scene that has that had happened no. that, that not at all actually I was I was really it's a weird thing you know I wasn't I was very distant from that I mean I I wasn't very you know I wasn't very cool actually to be honest, and I didn't really know about this stuff. I was starting to get more and more into jazz, actually, but yeah. not modern jazz. I couldn't stand modern jazz, but just gradually I was starting to listen to to, to older stuff. And um, I was really into Nina Simone, people like Tom Waits, even when I was 18, 19. So I wasn't really aware of what was going on around me. I just mm. thought it was... I, I was really... You know, I've always been a bit of an old-fashioned person, I think, since I was young. And I think I, I sort of, you know, I always f sort of lent towards the older stuff, the older music, you know, the, the sort of 50s, the 60s stuff. And so, I, I yeah, I, did, I didn't really keep an eye on what was... I had no involvement with them, no... And I was actually no great interest, actually. 
Yes. So when did you when did you start to sort of gravitate towards you know Gannon Drunk at this stage? Because this was kind of kind of way into the nineties, wasn't it? I think I started playing with Gannon Drunk in ninety three. So you know I'd never heard of them. I'd never heard their music. Um, it was Terry who was the, who was playing the sax for them. He just said they need a drummer. Um, would you do, do you fancy you know we've got a tour in Japan and I thought oh that sounds that sounds exciting yes um, you know so um, Terry gave me the cassette of the Heart of Town of their first album I think it is and I listened to it and I thought fucking hell I, I don't understand any of this this is just this just sounds so so you know this is after me playing like jazz and jazz funk and all that sort of rubbish. And then I listened to this record and I thought, God, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get what this is. So I went to an audition and I was the only person who went to the audition who'd ever played the drums, apparently. And um, so, so it was an easy choice for James. And he always said to me, because I, 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 I turned up wearing a, th- a three-piece tweed suit. I don't quite know why, but I don't know why that at all. And he just... But I was the only person who could play the drums. He went to the auditions, which were very limited, I must admit. Um, so then I started, you know, I thought, so the, the first gig I ever did with Gallon Drunk was in, in Tokyo. Um, and, you know, we didn't, as you can imagine with Gallon Drunk, there was no rehearsals. I was listening to a cassette tape a couple of days before, thinking I don't really understand what, what this stuff is. But then, you know, and it just went on from there, and then we we got on really well, and and you know been playing with James ever since, thankfully. So yes, and obviously Terry is one of our local heroes from the the UEA. He was in, I think it was, oh, the yeah, Hitlers, yeah. wasn't he? So, and he's kind of gone on to play with just about most bands or most people, pretty right? much everybody. Yeah, yeah. So he's a real motor. Did you? I mean, did you enjoy your? You know, was it an enjoyable experience? Because you were sort of. I don't, you weren't really fitting into the Brit pop period, but you definitely, there was definitely a sort of appetite for live music at that stage, wasn't there? And you were on a, yeah. you were on City Slang Records as well. So there must have been kind of, it must have felt slightly exciting to be part of a a, a youthful band going places. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was more than slightly exciting. It was, I mean, it was a real, it, you know, it was, it was the most pleasurable time I've ever had. I mean, it was so full on. You know, respectfully full on, as you know, but God, it was it was it was more than fun. You know, it was the best the, the best time I've ever had. You know, years and years playing the gun drug. You know, we we you know because we toured a lot and um, it was just so much fun. You know, it was it was it was like being in a in a proper band. You know, so we had a great time i mean it, it was it was unbelievably good fun and the camaraderie it was you know exceptional it was like a you know it was it was like being in a proper what i always thought that a band should be it was like a bunch of friends just roaming around playing gig after gig after gig you know um so it was it, it was it was such a brilliant time yes um I would imagine. Yeah, and I did mean, you enjoy? And did, you, did you enjoy working in the studio? Because the the first album you worked on was um, in the long still night, wasn't it? Yeah, in the long still night was tricky because the, for some reason the engineer wanted to, to to put us to a click track, 
And I'd, I'd never really done that before. I have done subsequently, so I can do that now. But then, and it was a big mistake, you know, because it, when I listened, I mean, I haven't listened to it for years, actually, but I think I heard one song recently that James sent me. Um, and I just, it's a shame, you know, because I wish we'd been, all of us, I wish we'd been better musicians at the time, because I think the songs were quite good, but I think we didn't really... Um, I mean, people seem to like that record, but I, I, I think it's a bit weak because I think it's just it's all constrained to a to a metronome, and it's um, you know if we if we'd been better players, it could have been. When I mean better players, it means uh, I mean that we could have played more freely. We could have been more confident just to open it up a bit. I think it sounds a bit sort of stilted, but or stilted is that the right word? Yeah. Um, did, but, did you, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad. But. Did you see that um, documentary on the wedding present where they were talking about the f- making of the film, the film, the uh, album did, George Best, and there was this whole thing with the click track and the drummer sort of, I think he got removed with an, for another drummer and the producer was having right. a bit of a moment. I mean, did I you, really, did uh, you find a, like... a lot of pressure, you know, being in the, in the studio at this stage, especially with people going on about the click track? I think for that record, I didn't. I didn't feel much pressure actually because it was just. It was more the the recording engineer who wanted to do it that way. None of us really, you know, we'd really experienced that kind of way of recording, um, and so I don't know. Maybe I, I. I don't remember feeling pressure. I just remember feeling like this every time we listen back to takes. You know, every all of us we just think, yeah, but it doesn't. It's not flowing. It's not. It's very, you know. And I think I was nervous because I didn't want to go out of time. Because, you know, as soon as you've got a click going, then if you go out of time, then it's like it's pointless. What's the point of having it? So, but I, I, I do remember because also it was a very expensive studio. It was Matt Johnson's studio in in Shoreditch, the the guy or whatever was, you know. So and I know City Slang was paying for it. So I I, I remember feeling like. You know, it was a lot of time, a lot of money, and I think. Um, but the, I think the trouble was after after every night, you know, after we'd always just go. There was only, you know, it was in Shoreditch that studio, and in in ninety five, ninety four, whenever we were doing, you know, there was nothing there. I mean, it was deserted. It was absolutely there was there was only one pub open that we'd go to all the time after after recording. And it was it was great fun, but I think we spent I think we spent more time enjoying the after thing rather than doing the recording. And and I think I think it's a shame that the songs were probably quite good, but I think the the recording of it um, and the way we did it, we approached it was probably a mistake. If we did it again, you know, the same yes. songs I sound so much more lively and, and so much more exciting there's a couple of things on it that, that i like and but uh, i'm very uh, very I haven't, I haven't listened to it as i say you know for ages but mm. i'm sure if i listened to the whole thing i'd probably feel a bit slightly disappointed about um about the feel of it because it's not i don't think it's very lively in, in my my recollection of Yes. Talking of lively, how did you get to work with Lydia Lunch? Because this it was again, it was you know, it was through um, it was through Terry actually. Terry said to me, 
um, there's this, this, you know, there's this woman, Lydia Lunch. I'd never heard of her. I'd never even heard of her name. You know, that's how so, you know, out of the, the loop I was of, on indie music or independent music. Or, or New York um, from the late or, 70s. Yeah, no, you know, I'd never even heard of the idea of no wave or anything. I mean, I was very, very naive, you know. But Terry said, oh, there's this woman, Lydia Lunch. She needs a drummer for doing European shows because she doesn't want to get somebody from America to, you know, work permits and all that. Um, and this was in 1999. And he just said, do you want to do it? And I said, well, that sounds fun. Um, and then again, you know, no rehearsals, no nothing. I met her on a plane to Athens and I didn't even know what she looked like, you know. That's how out of the, that's how uncool I was. And so she came up to me on the plane to Athens and said, hi, I'm Lydia Lange. You're playing with me tonight. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, yeah, it was totally improvised. And then, you know, we'd been, I mean, I did a gig, did five gigs with her like two weeks ago, um, just me and her in, in Switzerland, you know. So we'd been playing ever since 1999. To this day, um, blind, I realized you were still sort of there, you know, doing. Oh, good, yeah, yeah. We opened up the Lausanne Underground Film Festival in November, me and her, and then we went back to Geneva. I think only two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, we did four or five gigs after a theatre production, just me and her. And you know, it, it's you know, it's always a an enormous privilege and pleasure for me to play with her. I mean, she's. You know, she has a reputation for certain things, but um, you know, we, you know, we, 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 we didn't know what we were going to do at these gigs in Switzerland. And I was, I was getting very anxious, and I kept saying to her, "Come on, give me, can we, can we not just? It'll be fine, it'll be fine." And then I was thinking, okay, so I prepared a bit of music, some samples I could trigger while I was playing the drums, and you know, but we were completely unrehearsed and imp- it was totally improvised, and you know. I'm very self-critical, so but I think we got away with that. I think it was good. I think it was very good, actually. Excellent. And she was brilliant. So, Has it helped sort of playing with other people, you know, just sort of keeping, you know, a certain inspiration or flexibility or fluidity just and seeing how other people, especially, you know, somebody like Lydia, Lydia just I just wondered how that sort of either helps or, or sort of improves your playing? I think it does, you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody like her, she's so, I mean, she's so much larger than life, you know, and, and I've known her for what, 30, what is it, 30 years now, or 20, 20 23 years. Um, so, you know, I mean, and she, I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a force and she terrifies me still, even though I know her very well, we're very good friends, but she does terrify me. She's unpredictable, but she's, sort of magical as well and also playing with other people it's of course it's you know it's it's really improved you know my playing and and also you know when you I think when you play you've got to be able to listen yes what people are also playing you can't just be you know I what I can't stand drummers who just overplay and who are clever you know there's so many drummers who are technically much better than me but there's so few drummers that I hear that are musical. And, you know, and I, my whole um, outlook on playing the drums 
is to make the drums musical and they because they can be musical they can sing you know you can you can add things and you can be complementary to other musical instruments it's not about just going i can't stand that kind of you know that kind of playing and so um so for me playing with other people you know i played with barry adamson he, he wasn't it wasn't the easiest person to play with but it was a very it was a very again another another interesting experience to actually because he's a great musician and you listen to another type of player another you know another type of musician and you learn off you know you you're forever learning about the about your playing and you always want to improve because you're you know you know you never think you're good enough well, at least i certainly don't you know and i always think oh god you know i can't well i, I, I can't work that out oh well that that hasn't hit that hasn't worked for me you know because i'm not good enough and so so other people are, are, are hugely instrumental in 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 making you keep playing and also improving what you're what you're doing yes because i've always been kind of curious how people like you know david bowie was always kind of re not reinventing himself but sort of bringing together new lineups and new bands and doing new projects yeah. and often one wondered what that would be like you know when everyone had to meet up in the studio rehearsal space to sort of decide you know right this is it we're going to be working with david with this kind of new album these new songs and new producer i mean i just wonder what it was like when you met kind of barry adamson you know and sort of with his kind of history of working with a magazine and then um public image limited no nick cave yeah, sorry yeah i suppose you know again you know I, I wasn't really that familiar with barry's stuff and you know in the studio i was called in the last minute because the, the drummer that they had was um i don't think he could manage to to, to, it was too. It was like live stuff to a click. Lots of samples, and so I was called in the last minute. I didn't really know Barry's again. You know, I was like, again really uh, away from all of this. But um, but it was it was you know it was difficult because he was um, he's a fantastic bass player. Um, but it was it was you know we had a we well, I did two big tours with them, and it was it was it was difficult. Actually, because he was very, how can I say it? It wasn't much fun, actually, because because he was very, um, rightly so, he was very exacting about what people were doing. But um, I think he, I, I, I don't know. I think after his after his previous experiences in in his life, I think maybe it had affected his ability to. How can I put it subtly? You know. Um, uh, so you know, in, in, in enjoy the idea of being on tour, or enjoy or enjoy being being on stage. You know, it, it was almost too clinical. It was almost too. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just just it, it, it was a, it was difficult actually playing playing with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I got a lot out of it because he was a, he was very good at directing stuff and and. Um, but there wasn't the freedom that I was used to, I suppose. Yes. It's always so tricky, actually, because you've always kind of, you know, because <laughs> obviously Gallon Drunk, I know, it's, it's always so tricky, isn't it, these moments? Um, but, yeah, it's, Gallon Drunk is still going. So, obviously, over the years, you've sort of brought out, the last album was The Soul of the Hour, which was 
over six years now. So is it the fact, yeah. is it the case that the band has slightly ground to a halt in, in sort of recording new material? I, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, um, I think sadly, I think the band is no longer actually. Um, I, I don't think we'll probably ever do anything again, and which is, to me, is a shame. Um, I think James has probably probably had enough of, um, you know, being a front man. And I think he had, I think he had a great time with his recent, you know, two or two years with PJ Harvey, and I think he really enjoyed that. And um, but I think with you know, obviously, without without James being enthusiastic about it, then Gallant Drunk really doesn't exist. I mean, Gallant Drunk is him. You know, really. So I'd, I'd be very surprised. I mean, I, I would, you know, I, I see James all the time, and he's a friend of mine. So, so I hope that we we'll, we can do something. I mean, I have asked him, and he's quite keen to do something. I don't think it'll be, um, it, uh, you know, it probably won't be gallon drunk anymore. It might be something else. But whether we do anything else, I don't know. But I think again, you know, going going back to that solo record of mine, that was also part of the reason why it escalated because I was just feeling, you know, when I when I play music, I want to play with friends. I don't want to I don't want to do an audition and then end up in a band of people that uh, have different ideas to me or different um, attitudes, different ways of life, different ways of thinking about life. And I think with Gallon Drunk, it was always like that. And it was always like a bunch of friends and like-minded people. Yeah. So, and that's what music is to me. You know, you have to, I think to quote Jimmy Garrison, I think he said this, the Elvin, uh, the John Coltrane bass player, you have to love the people you're on stage with, otherwise you can't, you can't play music with them. I think, I think Jimmy Garrison said that. And I think it's, it's, um, you know, it's a very poignant thing that you, if you, if you're not like brothers in a way, I mean, sense. So, I don't mean that in a macho way, but I mean, you know, brothers or sisters doesn't matter. But if you're not connected, you know, if you, you know, you have to have that feeling on stage that, um, you know, that you'll do anything for each other, and yeah. that's the part. Of it, you know, that that's I think that's that's what music is about as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, have, have you sort of, I mean, you obviously played with Lydia quite recently. I mean, is and you've got this, you've had this solo album, which has taken about four years. I mean, what's 2022 sort of shaping up? Because obviously the last couple of years have been pretty... Yeah, it's strange. been... Yeah. I'm going to, I mean, I've been booked into Raw Power Festival in August next year. Um, I don't know if you know that place in Tufnell Park. It's a fantastic festival that the Gallandrung played um, probably four or five years ago actually but it's a three day festival in, in the Dome in Topham Park so that was really exciting I was really pleased about that I'm going to do some more stuff with Lydia um, and it's oh you're frozen oh, so close got to Lydia Love to try and do some stuff with James as well. So I think that might happen. You know, he's painting a lot. He's doing. He seems to be very popular as a painter. Right, James. Is yeah. I saw his kind of page, and he's. he's I didn't realise he had so many different talents. I mean, has yeah, it, yeah. 
I mean, is it difficult sort of keeping it all together, sort of wanting to sort of continue a life in music, but at the same time knowing that it's, you know, there's bills to pay and, and um, other things to juggle? Oh, you're frozen. Jeez, he's I think, um, you know, he does that. You know, I'm, you know, all the time I've been doing music, I'm an antique dealer as well, you know, but it, that's been a struggle. You know, I've always I've always sold antiques, um, like early sculpture and stuff. But um, that's what's what sort of kept me going as well. But then the last two years with that and with music have been, you know, incredibly difficult. So, um, so yeah, I ha you know, I'm having to think about lots of things. I mean, as far as music is concerned, I will never, you know, that's it's never a consideration to not do it yes. um, at all. And it's never a hobby. It's never a pastime. You know, I've met so many people in their 30s that have said, oh, I gave up because it was just that. And I just, how can you give up music? You know, how can you give up it? Even if it doesn't pay you any money, you've got to find a way to keep doing it. You have mm. to. You don't give up music. You know, that that's like, it's the lamest thing I've ever heard when people say, well, oh, but I'm 30 now or I'm 40. And I say, what are you talking about? You know, I'm 55. I've never even considered not getting on stage and playing, even for 100 quid. I don't care. You know, it has to be done. It has to be performed and it has to be created. You know, and you're, 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 you're ashamed, you know, to, to the, the idea of playing music if you say, oh, I have to give up because it, I, I don't earn enough money or I don't have enough time or my, well, I've got children now. And I just think, well, I'm well, no, no, you can't. You can't say those things. No. That's not right. You, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be talking about this. Like, about this thing called music in those terms. You know, I'm so. I, I mean, I'm very militant about that because I, I believe in it so much. And I don't care how much it's been a struggle for me, and still is. You know, there's no way on earth I ever think about. You know, all I think about now is right. Okay, I need to try and promote this record by doing some live shows. Trying, um, I was rehearsing on Sunday with a guy, you know, it's his new record. I'm not sure about it, whatever, let's see. And then I've been working with another girl, um, a singer who's absolutely fantastic or beautiful voice. So I've been doing stuff with her and, and then hopefully with James, we might mess around and do some stuff and with Lydia. And so it's all music, music, music. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, is he, is James possibly going to be released, um, thinking of doing any more solo work? I just wondered if he... I don't was... really know. I think I think the sad thing for him, I think that solo album that he did, I think it wasn't very well promoted, you know. Um, you know, I played all the drums on it as well. Like, and it was, you know, it wasn't what... I wasn't expecting the direct... Because I didn't really know the songs before we ended up in the studio. And and actually, I did listen to it quite recently, and I thought they're actually, yeah, you know, it was a very different a different approach from him. And I I thought they're they're amazing songs, and I thought I think I think it it works, but I think it wasn't really it wasn't quite promoted in a way that. So I, I think it sort of maybe it stung him a bit. Maybe it was a bit like a lot of effort, a lot of ex, you know, to expose yourself in those kind of songs. And to open yourself up as a solo artist, and I think it didn't quite get the, um, you know, the, the the exposure that it should have done. Because I think it's a great record, um, 
and you know, when I listened to it recently, I, I just thought, actually, this is really well crafted, really great songs. Um, but yeah, maybe so. I don't know if he was. I think he might have been. He might have felt like that was a lot of a lot of effort, and that was a lot of opening up, opening up your heart with those a lot of per, very personal lyrics. And so, let's see. I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 trying to persuade him to do some stuff with me. So. Yes. Well, hopefully. So we'll <laughs> I mean, if you could have said something to a, a 16 or 18 year old sort of self starting out in, in the world of music and creativity, is there, is there anything sort of over the decades of experience and sort of a certain amount of wisdom, is there anything you would have just kind of whispered in their ear to say, oh, look, this, is, this would be a really good thing to think about? Or um, I think uh, the, the only thing I would have said is that you're, you're going to have, you're going to have, my experience, we've, you know, in my experience of playing music, I've been very, very, I mean, it sounds weird, but I've been very unlucky in certain situations, you know. There was, there, there's been some very near misses to some very good things, but it's never, it's never, it's never stopped the, you know, I could tell you loads of stories about Island Records coming down to see us and blah, 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 and we were all ill and everything like that, you know. So there's lots of there's been lots of near misses, mm. but I would say that like, to anybody who's doing it, it's just you know you just forget about the, any kind of ideas. Of course, you want to be a rock star or a pop star, or whatever you know. Of course, you want to do that, but you know you've got to believe in the music you do. And don't don't listen to anybody. You know because when Gallon drunk, you know we were we were the flavor of the month at one point, and then we went to rock bottom. But then we managed to. We still managed to carry on, and we still had a core base of fans. Mm. And um, you know, we still managed to do records. You know, some of them better than others, parts of records better than others. But you know, frankly, it's all about um, sustainability. You've got to have, you know, you've got to have that um, that do or die sort of attitude towards. We're going to do this regardless of what happens. You know, if if you're not successful, you know, financially or or publicly, it doesn't mean to say you have to stop. You know, and the people who give up after after that is just I find them ridiculous. You know, so the only thing I would say is like, don't ever ever if you believe in what you're, if you want to play music, music's that important to you, which it's always been to me. Then you don't. Of course, you never stop. You know. And that's why I did this solo record, you know. I put this solo record out for no other reason other than I wanted to do it and because I'm a musician and because yeah. I have to do I have to do it, you know. Um, you know, all, all self-financed, but the point is that it had to be done, you know. And so if you're if you're if you're if you're too sad and about like oh well you know there wasn't many people at that gig tonight well get you know get used to it I've spent thirty years with like twenty people at a gig or five hundred people you know it just depends so you know just just don't don't ever give up that's that's what I would say <laughs> yes absolutely no, that is great and I'm so pleased that you've um, got this album I've loved it you know by the way I just you know really enjoyed oh, it oh thanks David. And it's been, you know, great to hear. I just actually, what I really love is hearing people's latest projects and what they're planning. I mean, it's always interesting the story before, but it's often just great to um, hear what people are trying to do because it's everything. 
everything needs a bit of push and work and dedication. You have to go through bits where you wonder why you're doing it. And sometimes mm. if anyone's remotely interested, but actually you sort of learn from those experiences, don't you? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not quite the same person roughly that I was when I started a project, you know, you've, yeah. you've got a few more sort of moments that you've um, had to dig in. And actually I think as a person you become, I don't know. I think in a way, when I hear people, the pub philosopher person who's never done anything and they're on the terraces saying what you should or shouldn't do, I always think, <laughs> but that's really, that's so different to when you've run projects or you've done things or you put events on or you've tried to sort of do something like, you know, we did once do a book on something that we were interested in and realised when we did all this work, you know, how few people were interested. But I would not change it for the world because it's like, actually, I've got the record. I've got the experience of doing it. My expectations yeah. were a little bit off. And it's like, okay, and then you just have to laugh at it. But it's like, yeah, I kind of understand it. And if I ever speak to anybody else who's done those sort of projects, you know, you you know, you, you, know, you, you, nod, you can nod at each other, can't you? Because you know the experiences that you've had, you know, in those... Yeah, experiences. exactly. That's, that's what it comes down to, really. I mean, you know, you just, you have to do, you have to do anything creative, you know. It, yes. there's also there's also avenues you know there's avenues for lots of things if you you know if you're not pretentious and you have and you have you know ambition of course but but you're realistic but also you believe in what you do you know whatever 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 the creative thing you're doing you know there is there are there are and if you're the thing is that that's what i love about this country is that you have to you have to prove yourself you know, you're not just like given loads of, unfortunately, loads of grants and artistic sort of help. So you have to, you know, to do something, you have to be, you know, you have to be relatively, you have to have something to offer, you know. And yes. I, quite, I, I quite like that. I quite like that struggle, actually. But, We've got, well, yeah. So, well, this country has produced some amazing work for such a small, yeah. for such a more small island. It's yeah, absolutely. Amazing. I mean, it's incredible, you know, what's happened to Yes, this is true. This is true. But look, Ian, thank you ever so much for this. This has been amazing. If you want, I can always um, send you the link and you can always use it on whatever. Facebook. Thank you, David. Yeah, I'd love you, love you to do that. That'd be brilliant. Because people love love hearing a story, I have to say. Really yeah. Do. But yeah, thank you for this for this uh, time. And um, like My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, all the best for the new year. And I hope... I thank you. Navigate, navigate the next couple of months without too many. Definitely. I had yeah. my third. I had my third jab the other day, and it was a bit yesterday. In fact. Oh, good. Yeah, me too. So that's it's good. A, it's a bit sore. Oh, oh really? Okay, you'll okay. be fine. I, I didn't have any problems. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> just a bit of a sort of like tender. Anyway, look. Take care. Have a lovely evening. All right. Thanks, David. See you take later. Care. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was me in conversation with Ian White from Gallon Drunk and also Lydia Lunch and does some still, I think, occasionally play with various other people, but has this new album out, which is uh, Goes as Blythe Sound or Blythe, but Blythe Sound.bandcamp.com if you want to know any more information. Also, you can hear it on Spotify, I believe, and it's yeah, fantastic. It is a sonic, a beautiful sonic soundscape of exciting rhythms and uh, in interesting emotions. Anyway, look, this has been um, the C86 Show. I'm David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. 
And also all these fascinating interviews have been archived on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Check them out. They might just change your life. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.